gonna be huge. Buzzcock. It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Alone again. Alright. And welcome back to Cheap Talk, your podcast full of cheap trick. Today I am joined by Joey Jojo. Some people call him McGill, but he calls himself Lil, but everyone knows him as BJ Cramp. How you doing, sir? Hello there. How are you, Ken? I'm groovy. And we have on the mic, Jumpin' Joe Royland. Joe, How's it welcome going, to Ken? the show. Welcome to the show, sir. It's it's going oh, fine. I'm groovy. Thank you very much. Glad Haven't you heard? Here. I'm groovy. I have heard this, yes. Okay. Today we're talking about a different kind of album for our show. And Joe, would you like to let people know what we're discussing? Today we're discussing the debut solo album from Robin Zander, self-titled, released in 1993 on Interscope Records. Listen to that smooth DJ-like voice. And as we are recording this, BJ set this up. I don't know if it was if it's just uh, wonderful synchronicity or whether it was deliberate planning on the behalf of Mr. Cramp. But as we speak, it is July 6th, and this album came out 23 years ago today. BJ, was it planned? No, it was a ludicrous coincidence. In fact, you picked Wednesday, so... Oh, that's right, man. <laughs> Far out. But yeah, it's a hilarious coincidence that we ended up doing this on the anniversary of when it came out. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, a, to me, I feel an underrated album and an album that never really got its due, but we're going to go around and do what we call a roundtable discussion of the first Robin Zander solo album. BJ, what can you tell us about this album, how it came to be, and etc.? Well, I think it was a pretty long process. You know, when, when Robin was making this album, it was in between Busted and Woke Up With a Monster, and it was when they were dropped by Epic, signed the Warner Brothers, so it was a really weird time for the band. You know, he made it with Interscope, which was Jimmy Iovine's, or Iovine, however you pronounce it, his label, mm-hmm. and he, so he co-produced the record. Seems like, must have had high hopes for it at the time. I think perhaps some of the choices and the production were misguided, but, you know, it was a very weird time for the music industry, too, so, I mean, 1993 was... I mean, I was looking up 93, and probably The Bodyguard was probably the biggest album of that whole year, The Bodyguard soundtrack. Mm -hmm. But then you also have In Utero coming out in October, and then, you know, Pearl Jam's second album, Versus, sold a million copies in one week in November. So you have this weird dichotomy where, like when, uh, when this album came out, the month it came out, July, Janet Jackson was at number one. So you've got, the music industry was weird, you know, Whitney Houston and Janet Jackson were huge, but also Nirvana and Pearl Jam were huge, and Robin Zander, this album, I don't know, I guess it's somewhere in between the two, right? Right. Yeah, so it was a really weird time for the band, and just a really weird time for the industry in general, so... The caliber of people that worked on this album, I mean, there's some really pretty big superstars on it. I mean, you've got Dr. John on piano, Ben Montench from... uh, Tom Petty and the Tom Heartbreakers, Petty. and some guy named Tom Peterson on bass guitar. Don Felder from the Eagles. I mean, it, it, the list just goes on and yeah. on and on. Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac. It's just insane. 
Jimmy, I, I definitely called in a lot of his friends, it would seem, because you got Maria McKee from Lone Justice, who he produced, uh, Tom Ben Montench and Mike Campbell from Tom Petty, who he produced, uh, Stephen Nixon McFleetwood. So there's definitely a lot of caliber talent in there. Yeah. And uh, would you be surprised if you ran into a Cheap Trick fan that has never heard this album, Joe? I, I wouldn't, no. I wouldn't actually would not be surprised, unless they were like me and a huge Robin Zander fan as well as a Cheap Trick fan. I, I, I could see this slipping past people. BJ, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a large number of people on our, our Cheap Talk Facebook page that, just like they've never heard the podcast, they've never heard this album. <laughs> but, uh... Ooh. Beach the album is <laughs> the album is strange because it's kind of schizophrenic and it doesn't feel like it's a it's the album that Robin Zander wanted to make. It seems like it's a mixture of what he wanted to do and also well, obviously there's a lot of Jimmy Iovine in this and there's a lot of thinking about what might work as a chart hit. I think in some of these songs, so I don't. It doesn't feel a hundred percent like it you're getting a Robin Zander album and yeah I think with all the different guests that we have on it maybe it and at some point it becomes too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes it feels like that as well Mm -hmm. it's not Robin Zander saying this is me this is the album I want to make you know it's partially that but it doesn't feel that way 100% you know yeah, I would agree with that, too. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about this album as well. Uh, on the one hand, when an artist does a solo album, you kind of want them to do something that sounds different from their normal group, or what's the point of doing a solo record? But on the other hand, some of the choices are perhaps a bit too out there. And I had high hopes for this record, especially because, like I said, Robin Zander may well be my favorite singer of all time. So I had high hopes going in, mixed feelings about how everything turned out. Robin Zander is such an insane talent. I mean, there's there's nothing the guy cannot sing. And there's that old joke that the guy could sing the phone book and it would still be entertaining. But if you've ever actually listened to someone sing the phone book, it's probably not as much fun as one would imagine. I'm waiting for BJ to put that album out. BJ well, when you have the, the, the head of the label also producing your album, obviously... You know they're aiming, they they set their sights really high with mm-hmm. this record. And when you're Robin Zander and the guy who runs the label is also producing your record, obviously you're going to defer to him on some of these choices. That's just the way it's going to work. Um, Plus he's bringing in all this A-list talent. That right. You know it's it's just amazing. Well, let's talk about the first track, "Reactionary Girl," written by Rob Laufer. Bags all packed And your face is painted blue 
feature our guest today. What are your thoughts on Reactionary Girl, the opening track on the self-titled 1993 Robin Zander album? Well, I think the album opens up on a great start. I actually I love Reactionary Girl. Um, Rob Laufer also plays guitar on it. He actually would record his own version of it two years later on his debut album, Wonderwood. Uh, I think it's a great tune, just get good energy, almost like could almost be a cheap trick song in a way just maybe a little bit lighter and the only thing that's odd about it for me is that maria mckee from lone justice comes in for like two lines at the end of the song and it's just like oh okay that's weird that she just shows up for those two lines but otherwise i think it's a great great track good start to the album Mm -hmm. bj your thoughts yeah i like it i think it's a good song i probably would have flipped the first two songs in the order but it is. It's a. It's a decent start to the record. I actually ordered the Wonderwood CD off Amazon this morning. <laughs> oh. I've never heard the Rob Laufer version of this. Actually, he had a record before that too called Swimming Lesson, which I almost ordered, which I guess was recorded on a four track or something. But uh, and he has a it, couple albums on CD, baby, like more recent stuff. It's not too different from the Xander version. His vocals are maybe just. Uh, he can't go quite as high as Robin does, but I can't tell. What you ready to do You got your bags all packed And your face painted blue Your lifeline is a pendulum So you have that CD? I do. Yep. Yeah. For for those is who it don't good? Know, is it power pop? It is. You'd like it, I think. Yeah, very, yeah. Very was... jangly power pop. So. Yeah, I ordered it. Um, I saw that uh, Rob Lofer was George Harrison in Beatlemania at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this song "Reactionary Girl" has really good hooks. You know, I like the bridge and the chorus. So yeah, it's a good song. I would agree. I you know I'm a sucker for the jangly guitars anytime that happens <laughs> it's just great stuff it's it's not a bad kickoff to the album so bj you might have switched this with the second song you say yeah yeah hmm. i'll have to uh do my own playlist but as far as the performance in in the track what do you think of robin's performance well of course <laughs> it's when robin is it Zander, not great you know <laughs> yeah this is the kiss ass robin Zander podcast by the way we <laughs> The guy is amazing. We love him, and just such a talent, such a talent. It's always kept in in the forefront how great Robin Sander is. You just can't not think that way. Well, let's move on to the second track, I've Always Got You, and this is written by J.D. Souther, Mike Campbell, and Robin Sander. That is some impressive talent coming together there. That is amazing.
BJ, your thoughts on I've Always Got You. I love this song. I read in uh, Mike Hayes' book, Robin said that he had the music and the melody, and he called up J.D. Souther to write the lyrics with him. And then I guess probably Mike Campbell came in. He probably got a writing credit when he came into the studio and helped them, you know, maybe arrange the song when they recorded it, since he played on it. I don't know. Yeah, But you definitely get that kind of Jeff Lynne, Tom Petty feel with this song, which I guess Mike Campbell probably plays a big part in that. Um, but yeah, it's such a great song, and I think it has a real emotional, like emotional resonance that really, really makes it great. You know, it's not just a pop single. Um, you f- you feel the emotion in the song. It's really, yes. really well done, and it feel it really feels like a Jeff Lynne produced song to me, which made me think, you know, how great could it have been if maybe Jeff Lynne would have produced this record? Wow, you're right. You're right. Joe Royland, your thoughts on I've Always Got You? I uh, have to agree with you and BJ on this one. I think uh, it was definitely the right choice for a first single off the album. Again, I can I can see BJ's point of having this should have maybe been the first song on the album, too, because it is such a strong song, and you really want to lead off with a strong cut. But, uh, I, again, I love it. I think it's a great song. And totally I would second BJ's thoughts that it sounds very Jeff Lynne-like, as does one of the other tracks on this album, which we'll get to later. Ooh, spoiler alert. You know, one thing you can say about Mike Campbell is he has such a distinctive sound and tone and way of playing that, you know, there's a lot of guitar players that you can interchange them, but every once in a while you, you find that guitar player that has its own unique thing, and it's it, it's not like he's a real flashy guitar player or anything, but the guy has a certain sound, and you know it's him. You know what I mean, BJ? Yeah, and and who's to say what would have what could have been a hit in 1993? But if you know if they're just trying to to put out a quality single, you know they hit they hit the bullseye with this one. It it wasn't a hit, but not for lack of effort or for lack of just great artistic work. So Tom Petty had such huge hits with songs like "I Won't Back Down" and "Learning mm-hmm. to Fly" and stuff. This song fits right in there. So it's right. too bad that it didn't get some airplay and maybe, but you know, 1993 like we were talking about was a crazy time. So. Agreed. Now, there was no video made for this, correct? I've never no, seen anything. I've never seen one. But it, this was the single that was released, and it peaked at number 13 on the mainstream rock chart. The single also peaked at 64 in Canada for a total of four weeks. So Shit, you know, a video really maybe could have helped. It couldn't so, have hurt, you know. I don't know why they didn't do it. I was going to say, I have the, uh, the import CD single of this as well, which has an unreleased track on the album called Stone Cold Rhythm Shake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the Japanese bonus track, too. Yeah, it was. And um, that was a cover of a song by What's-His-Name. Well, um, wait, we're getting ahead of ourselves, BJ. Yeah. We're going to discuss <laughs> it. Calm down. That BJ, he's so excitable. He's so unusual. Great track. Should have done better. Should have made a video. That's the only problem I would have seen with that, because it, it really could have popped. Because it, it really is a, a single worth hearing, and it... it more more ears should have heard it for sure it's a, it's a great track our next track show me heaven written by eric racking jay rifkin and maria mckee from lone justice Your eyes 
babe Come over here And shut them tight I'm not denying We're flying above it all Hold my hand, don't let me fall You've such amazing grace your thoughts on show me heaven uh cheesy and bad uh it was a number one hit in the uk for M- maria mckee in 1990 mm-hmm. from the days of thunder soundtrack uh tom cruise <laughs> what car racing uh movie oh act like J- you don't know it you have it on blu-ray jay rifkin probably did the score of that movie because he did a lot of film scores and stuff he did i saw he did lion king too which that's what this song to me, this is like a Disney, <laughs> like a Lion King 2 song. It's not a good song at all. But since it was a huge hit in the UK and not a hit here, I guess they thought, well, you know, maybe we could have a hit with this here since it was a hit there. But, ugh. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe Royland, your thoughts on Show Me Heaven? Oh, I'm kind of in the BJ camp on this one. I actually, I didn't mind the Maria McKee version that she did solo. It was it was I actually like it better if I have to choose between that and Robin's version. I like it better. I think there were some bad choices made, um, especially with like including her vocals on this. It's almost like they just took her vocals from that song and added them in, and they almost sound like they're competing on parts of the song. I think they should have just made it more of a duet if they were going to use Maria McKee on the song, but I, I I, don't like this version of the song at all. Hmm. I think it's a swing and a miss, big miss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, bum, bum, ba, dum, but uh, as far as Robin's performance, once again, great. It's not as good as the sum of its parts. Would, is that fair to say, BJ? You know, this is one of the moments on the record. There are several moments on the record where the production is just really misguided and lots of bad choices. And the mix, a lot of times, I don't like the mix on some of these songs either. Yeah, I have to agree with that too. And it is yeah. semi schizophrenic in the sense that you have several people producing. You've got executive producer Jimmy Iovine, Robin Zander, James J.E. Early, Matt Dyke, and Mike Campbell. Now, I don't know who all these people are. Like, for example, James J.E. Early. Who's James J.E. Early? Someone trying to make a name for himself and failing. Yeah. This is a very calculated move, I think, to, to have recorded this song and put it on the record. And, yeah, you know, they missed the mark. They, it was just a, a poor choice. It, the song had already proven that it could be a hit. So, I would guess Robin Zander had nothing to do with you know, picking this song or or deciding to put this on the record. That would be my guess. Yeah, I think it's a totally a Jimmy O'Ivone choice. Do we have a list of who produced what? Well, I mean, it just says it's produced by Robin and Jimmy Iovine, so... Yeah. But, yeah, you, I mean, you... There's just so much going on in some of these songs where 
you know, they should have just... Keep it simple, stupid should have been done on some of these, but... Agreed. But once again, Robin does a great job with the material that he's given. It's just the production side of it, to me, uh, leaves it kind of weak. Our next track, Jump Into the Fire, written by Harry Nielsen. This is a song that I grew up with, uh, having the 45 and just played the heck out of it. on Jumping to the Fire. I love Harry Nilsson's original song. I think it's awesome, great. I think this is a terrible cover version of it. I think Robin does his best, but the uh, production choices, like BJ was talking about, are very bad choices, trying to do uh, a very dated, hip-hoppy uh, James J. Early and Matt Dyke were the ones who worked on this one. Just uh, I can see what maybe, like as BJ said, what they were trying to do and maybe get some hip-hop stuff in there, but it's it's bad choices i mean you're sampling yes is owner of a lowly heart freeze uh-huh. all right now um hush by deep purple and some other track by public image Limitage. like why buzzcocks all that stuff you know why is all that yeah the buzzcocks why is all that stuff in there why does it need to be in there i think it would have been a much more solid choice if he'd just done a straight up cover closer to the original and it probably would have been great hmm you know, BJ, when you screamed buzzcocks, I thought you were telling us what you had for breakfast this morning. BJ, your thoughts on jumping to the fire? Let me get the buzzcock on my mouth first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, hold on. Let me redo that again. Uh, <laughs> BJ, BJ, what are your thoughts on Robin Zander's version of jumping to the fire? I don't have to do the buzzcocks thing again. No, no, I? absolutely not. <laughs> I love Nilsson, of course, uh, even though this wouldn't be one of my favorite Nilsson songs, but I'm a huge Nilsson fan, as obviously is Robin Zander. This is incredibly misguided. I, in the, If you read in the book, Robin says that what he says is he recorded his vocals for this song, and then they put all these samples together yeah. underneath it. My guess would be that's Robin being diplomatic. My guess would be Robin did a more straightforward version of this song. And then Jimmy Iovine said, oh, let's make it a hip-hop song. And they put this bed track together underneath it and replaced probably the good version with this. Uh, that would be my guess, just from hearing Robin say that. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to record the vocals with no music and then construct these samples. Right. So I bet there's a much better version of this song, maybe in the vault. Um, and this is just... 
you know, I kind of feel bad for Robin on some of these songs because my guess with these last two songs we talked about, my guess would be he had very little to do with them other than singing them. And what, like I said, when you got the head of the label producing your record and probably saying, this is going to be, it's going to be huge. You're going to be, you know, who knows what kind of stuff Jimmy Ivey was putting in his ear. So it's going to be huge. This is what he ended up with. And like I said, my guess would be, you know, poor Robin <laughs> with how this song turned out. I can't imagine this is uh, how he envisioned it. Because, you know, this is probably a song that he wanted, that he chose to do, and then it ended up like this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great fun track. And, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of the hip-hop stuff. But, huge fan of Robin Zander. So, uh, his performance is great. The rest, not so much. The next song, if, if, this, if this album, to me, only had this one song on it, it would be worth it. I think that this song has stood the test of time. This song later found life on a Cheap Trick album. The song is Time Will Let You Know. It was written by Robin Zander and Brian Ohu. Who is Brian Ohu? Would that be Rick Nielsen under a pseudonym? I don't think so. Robin just <laughs> says in the book that it's a friend of his. Oh, okay. So, And he's also listed as playing piano or something on here. I wonder if it's Brian Beebe. Yeah, I thought the same thing. That's true, yeah. We should ask him. Yeah, you know, shit. I thought the same thing this morning, because I googled Brian Ohu and nothing came up. Right. We may have solved the mystery. (laughs) I just got confirmation. I just got confirmation that Brian Beebe is not Brian Ohu. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Did he ask how your wife was doing? (laughs) (laughs) this is such an excellent excellent song and very well done like i said if this was a one track cd and this was the one track i would have bought it just for it just an excellent excellent version and uh, as we mentioned later that it wound up on cheap tricks silver album and it was uh, recorded with the lovely Holland Zander and Robin Zander doing a duet. Uh, Holland Zander, of course, was the former lead singer of the Snags. And uh, she actually is on our Cheap Talk Facebook page. So hello, Holland Zander. We love you, and it's fantastic that you're part of things.
BJ, your thoughts on this version of Time will let you know. Yeah, this is a great ballad. It, unbelievable performance by Robin Zander on this song. And compare this song to Show Me Heaven, and there's just no comparison. Right. Um, it, everything is done right with this song. Everything that's wrong about Show Me Heaven is right <laughs> on this song. And yeah, my appreciation of this song grew even more. I was actually at that Silver concert. And yeah, when they performed this song with Robin's daughter, yeah, it was amazing. It just made me love the song even more. So They they tried to remove you from that, didn't they? They 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 said, Look, we're <laughs> filming, we want you out of here. Isn't that you what happened? You can spot me in the video at a couple of Really? Points. You should <laughs> yeah. you should well, do I some saw myself. Caps and circle yourself so I can see who you are. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Joe Royland, your thoughts on Time Will Let You Know. Well, I'm totally jealous of BJ for being able to be at the Silver Show because that must have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. This is one of the highlights of the album. Thank God it came along on the album when it did to waste the, to rinse out the taste of the last bad two tracks. Uh, it just totally makes you forget about them because this song is so great. And I agree too. Like it, it, it's one of the highlights not only on this album but on the Silver Show with Holland Sander. It's just great. Don Felder from the Eagles does the guitar solo and Tom Peterson's on this one too yep. absolutely so it's uh, even cooler that Tom's on that as well just an amazing epic ballad the kind of thing that you'd like your band to do you know what I mean there's a lot of bands that like when you see like for example a new album comes out by your favorite band and you see the song titles and you're trying to figure out which one is the ballad and you're, you hope it's a song as good as this one so kudos to Robin Zander, just an excellent track, and I love both versions, both this and the one off Silver. So if you don't have either of those CDs, what's wrong with you? Right, BJ? <laughs> right. Get on it. It's, al it's almost amazing that they didn't release this as a single, because usually if like your first single fails, you follow it up with a ballad and at least give that a shot as a chance for a hit. So it's amazing that this didn't even get released as a single. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful song, and it's Robin, you know, at the top of his game, vocal. Agreed. So, well, which version do you like better, BJ? They're, I like them both. That's not. I I always go for studio versions if it's well done over live versions usually, but. But you can't deny Holland's great job on that track. I mean, they were they work so well together. It's just so yeah. excellent. Yeah, it was very emotional. It was. I think she was only like 17 or something at the time. Hard to believe that that voice coming out of someone that young. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. She sang with him at, I saw him, I saw that solo show in January and she sang with him at that too. Mm -hmm. Not this song, but. Right. They would have had to peel you off the wall if they would have pulled that out, right? <laughs> like a, like a fruit roll up, they would have had to peel you off slowly. Actually, our next track I dedicate to BJ. Boy, I'm so in love with you. Written by Fred Reynolds and Robin Zander. Here he was again 
Fred Reynolds and Robin Zander. Joe Roiland will let you take lead on this, my song to BJ. It features the late Christine Amphett from the Divinals, who is uh, riding a bit of a resurgence wave with their record that came out two years before and the song I Touch Myself. Mm-hmm. This song's okay. I-, I don't know if it's the best vehicle for them to work together. I don't know if this was a Jimmy Irvine choice for these two to work together or if maybe they just kind of appreciated each other and wanted to work together and did, but you know. Kind of ambivalent to it. it. It's okay, but I think it could have been better. I think maybe if they'd done something a little bit more rocking as a duet or or as a song together, probably I would have liked it more. But this one's just kind of. Eh. Bj, your thoughts on "Boy, I'm So in Love with You"? Yeah, I do not like this song. I like Christina Amphlett, but not this song. So. Is know. it because I dedicated it to you? <laughs> yeah. To me, that sounds like something more that the Pet Shop Boys would have been, have done than something that Robin Zander should be involved with. You know, I hate to say it, because there's a part of me that that loves some rap and some hip-hop and, you know, all different kinds of music. You know, what was it on Sesame Street? One of these things just doesn't belong here. One of these things aren't part of the same. And I love it usually when there are mixtures of genres and stuff like that. But to me, it just does not fit with something that if I have a property like Robin Zander in my stable and the ability to do something with Robin Zander, this is not my first instinct. This is not <laughs> this is not what I'm thinking, oh, this is just going to blow it up. If you're going to do this kind of combination, you, you must feel that it, it's hit-worthy, right? Why no video? Why no promotion? Why not this? And once again, it's because the sum is... It, it's it's not as good as the sum of its parts you know it's it's not the final product does not work to me does that seem fair bj yeah yeah the worst thing about the song is the production yeah for sure yeah, yeah and th- there's that fake out because i really like that little um guitar intro at the beginning which is actually robin yeah uh, and that's is... cool you actually think it's gonna go somewhere else and then it becomes this song that's just like eh you know pass send all hate mail to joe roiland <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say Robin was bad. I'm just like it, I, I just think there could have been a much better vehicle for the two of them, especially, to work on. This this song wasn't it. Agreed. Because she brings something really cool and quirky, but I just I can't imagine why anybody thought that this style of music would have been good for these two to work on. Just kind of strange. 
And I don't know who Fred Reynolds is or what Robin had to do with writing this song or how this song even happened. Um, I would be interested in hearing that story. <laughs> but That's one of the sad things about this is that this album is not documented as much as it should, you know, should have been. For us as Cheap Trick fans, this is, <laughs> you know, we, we, we all zoom in on the minutia of things. We, we want to know all this stuff. Why is Robin Sanders singing a song called Boy, I'm So In Love With You? That kind of sends, you know, it's, it shouldn't yep. it be like, girl, I'm so in love with you. Yeah, it, they were probably going for some kind of I touch myself type, <laughs> you know, <laughs> attention grabbing type. A clever, a clever ploy, but there's such a fine line between clever and stupid as Spinal Tap. Yes. So eloquently taught us. I just wish I knew this series of connections and choices that resulted in this song being on this album. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be a weird story. I, I think it's got to be, but I don't know. On the other hand, Time Will Let You Know is on this CD, so it's worth picking up for that. Or that's true. Or I've Always Got You. Which yeah. you know, so there's enough songs on this album that make it worth having. Oh That's yeah, absolutely. it's definitely worth having for sure. And the you thing just, is, you, know, it, 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 you hit it's the skip Robin button. I mean, yeah, it's Robin Zander. You just got to hit the skip button a couple times. That's most albums. <laughs> so yeah. even he couldn't save it. <laughs> say, say it again. God. Bob Clearmountain mixed "Boy, I'm So in Love with You," so even he couldn't save it. From That's its, do it with the from... stupid laughter like you did. What <laughs> no, I'm supposed to. Fake the original laughter tr- laugh track. Well, that's what your wife does when you tell a joke. She fake laughs it. So, so we have mixed feelings. I guess is the nicest way to put it. On boy, I'm so in love with you. But then again, like I said, time will let you know. Is on this CD. I've always got you. Great reasons to pick up the CD. So if you don't have this, get it. Our next track, tell it to the world. JD Souther. Mike Campbell and Robin Zander. It's a good team that worked on the first side of the album. I've always got you.
let's talk about Tell It to the World. BJ, your thoughts? It's the same team as I've always got you. Really good song. Probably the most cheap trick sounding song on the record. Mm -hmm. Also, a lot of Beatles feel, especially on the chorus. Yes. And and I, I guess this song actually was demoed by Cheap Trick, supposedly, at wow. some point. You know, I'm surprised it hasn't seen the light of day on one of the last four albums or so. And it's got the little vocal parts that would would have been sung by rick nielsen you know mm -hmm. if it was on a cheap trick record but you can hear it in there you can hear the little rick nielsen bits so i like that little bits of rick nielsen now cheap trick cereal with little bits of rick nielsen yeah joe Royland, your thoughts on i pretty much had the, the same notes as bj uh this, this is the one that sounds like it could have been on a cheap trick record also this is the other track i was talking about that was very jeff lynn elo like but considering that cheap tricks roots were highly in the move and other bands like that it makes sense so mm -hmm. great track uh wish there would have been more choices like this on the album instead of the boy I'm me too so in love with you. i think robin probably also <laughs> thinks yeah that. because it it would have appealed to his his fan base you know it seems like a no-brainer to me but sometimes yeah. you have to take art in different directions you were you were saying joe i was gonna say at least for every bad or iffy song on this album at least you don't have to go too far to get to another good one. that's true yeah, I, I'm definitely not saying Robin should have made a Cheap Trick album, but then again, Boy, I'm So In Love With You is so far removed from anything that I don't know what the hell that is, so... Right, but like I said, we've got Time Will Let You Know, I've Always Got You, and now Tell It To The World, so there's three really strong songs, and it, you, you can probably get this fairly cheaply, so we're telling you to go out and get this CD right now. Our next track, Emily... Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics and Robin Zander on writing duties. thoughts on emily it's all right i don't love it it's 
kind of too bluesy for me. Robin says in the book it's about someone he knew as a child, who he someone he knew who was abused as a child. Um, Steve Ferris on guitar. Uh, this there's some real Rick Nielsen sounding guitar on this song, and I guess that's probably Steve Ferris, who that's the guy from Mister Mister that played on Creatures of the Night, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he's doing. You got Steve Ferris doing some Rick Nielsen licks on here, which is pretty funny, and uh, Tom's on bass. So, yeah, this is another. I mean, this sounds like uh, more like Cheap Trick too, but it's just not a Cheap Trick caliber song to me. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Tell It to the World is much more of a Cheap Trick caliber song, but this one has a lot of Cheap Trick feel to it. Yeah, you know, you have to wonder looking at some of the talent. Like you've got Stevie Nicks additional vocals and you've got Mick Fleetwood and so on and so forth and Bob Clearmountain as a mixer and you, do you think that maybe these songs were things that were left around from other people that they repurposed for the album? That's a feeling I get on some of this stuff. That's what I was thinking about Boy I'm So In Love With You is maybe that's something that Christina Amplett had been working on and then it just ends up on here, you know? That would be pretty sad if that's the kind of situation that was and that's possible because they'd never really had a follow-up uh, to their big comeback album, and that would have been this would have been right around the time for it because that was '91 and this was like '93, so this would have been around the time for a follow-up album from them. But like for you know just 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 forgive me for going down this rabbit hole a little bit. I just want to you know if if you want to get uh, either the CD booklet or go on Wikipedia and just just look at the caliber of people that are on this album. You've got Robin Zander. Right off the get-go, your album's going to be amazing. Greg Bessonet, Mike Campbell, uh, Jimmy Iovine, Mar- Maria McKee, J.D. Souther, uh, Bob Clearmountain, Robbie Buchanan, uh, Stevie Nicks, McFleetwood, Dr. John, Dave A. Stewart, uh, Tom, Tom Peterson, Don Felder, and it, it, you can go on and on. And you just wonder how does an album not be an all-star event with with this many cooks in the kitchen you know well one of the things too is like on this track dr john plays piano on it but like not that you notice you know the piano is so buried in the mix and that it's a point i was going to make on one of the other songs we're going to be talking about in a minute too is like you may have some all-star talent on it but you know you, you you would be hard pressed to know it unless you really were listening in because they're kind of buried in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of problems with the mix on these songs. That's one of the things that really hurts the album. I think is some of the mixes are just really off. A lot of the songs, the drums are way too loud, and yeah, a lot of the instrumentation is just kind of buried. So our next track at number nine, number nine, number nine. I believe in you, written by Neil Young, and we know. From uh, interviewing Brian Beebe and all the Xander and Kent stuff, we know that Robin Xander is a huge Neil Young fan and can uh, imitate him very well. But here we have a track, I Believe in You. Gone. 
Jay, your thoughts on I Believe in You? Great Neil Young song from an uh, incredible Neil Young album after the gold rush. Uh, great song for Robin to sing, but like we've been talking about, the production and the mix is just really problematic for me on this song. Like I was talking about the drum. The drums are way too loud. The synth, you got the synth in there that's just... I understand they're not just trying to make it sound exactly like the Neil Young song. Right. But some of these choices, you know, they don't work. So it's, I don't think it's a great version of the song. It's great, of course, like we keep saying, it's a great performance by Robin Zander, but the rest of it, you know, you just misguided. Stylistically, the why they went the way they did. Joe Royland, your thoughts? I agree with BJ. This kind of, again, same thing I had in my notes. This harkens back to the Xander and Kent days. Great cover. Well, it's great Neil Young song, perhaps not a great cover. There's just too much going on in the mix. It probably would have been just better to have Robin and acoustic guitar. I mean, you got Ben Montench on keyboards on this track, but like we were just talking about, not like you'd know. And I think it, I think it would have been better suited to be much more stripped back and like I said, just Robin and a guitar probably would have been a better version of this song. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Once again, Robin's performance, excellent. But it's just, again, not the direction I would have went with it. Still glad to have it in my collection. Our next track is Secret, and it features Stevie Nicks. The songwriting personnel is Billy Steinberg, Rick Nielsen. We've heard that name somewhere before. Robin Zander and Tom Kelly. Baby, come close to me. on secret well i guess i'll steal all of joe's notes again (laughs) (laughs) yeah well obviously those two guys are the guys that wrote like a virgin and they also wrote kiss me red from the doctor um and you've yeah you've got rick's name in this song so you got to think maybe this was going to be a cheap trick song at some point um i like it i think it could have been a lot better if it was a cheap trick song and heavier 
more of a rock feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Mick Fleetwood, one of the greatest drummers ever, but he, his you know his drum sound in this song isn't that great. So yeah. just the production, you know, I don't know, what, and the mix is is a, is a problem again. But uh, yeah, there's a much better song I think lurking in this week kind of version of it. In the book, Robin said he was afraid of Stevie Nicks and thought she was going to put some kind of voodoo spell on him. <laughs> <laughs> my, my notes, too, were it's almost a, st- a secret that Stevie Nicks and Mick Fleetwood are on this song because they're so buried that you can't even hear them. I mean, if you're going to get Stevie Nicks to sing backing vocals on your track, amp them up in the mix a little bit. Make yeah. it more of a point that she's there. Well, I hate to say it, if you're going to have Stevie Nicks in your holster, why not put a single out with Robin and Stevie. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do that, if if you have that color on your palette, use it. And to me, that would have been what I would have done. But I'm not an album producer. I'm not Jimmy Iovine. I don't own this record label. But, man, when you have someone as amazingly talented and well-known as Robin Zander and Stevie Nicks on a track, you would think you would exploit that and make the most out of it. Exactly. Yeah, and this is a one of the higher quality songs on the album too. Definitely mm-hmm. single potential. So, Joe, what you're saying is when you have someone like Mick Fleetwood and uh, Robin Zander and Stevie Nicks on a track, and you keep it a secret, it's not a good thing. See, I used the <laughs> right. song yeah, title. Like, as, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I'm so clever. And- I used the song title as a, a pun. Indeed. When Stevie was at the mic, they must have told her to stand back. Stand back. Yeah. <laughs> we should also mention that uh, Robin Zander plays keyboards on Secret as well. Yeah, well, that's one heck of a band. Mick Fleetwood, Stevie Nicks, and gosh, a lot of a lot of great people on this. Very cool. And it's sad that this is uh, so much of a secret among Cheap Trick fans, this solo album. You see, I did that pun thing again using the title. Twice. <laughs> Twice in one bit. That's awesome. Um, our next track is Everlasting Love, written by Mick McNeil and Robin Zander. Joe, 
let it out. I think uh, kind of what VJ was saying with the last song, Secret, that this is a one that could have benefited from much different production choices. I think if this song had had way less synthesizers and the crappy hip-hop drums and that they had used a more rocked-up sound to it, this could have been a great Cheap Trick song and would have easily fit on, say, like one of the last album even. This song should be redone by the band, right, BJ? Yeah, yeah. What I have written down is Robin is the only thing that sounds good on this song. That the, the yes. drums are terrible. The oh, whole the whole God. production and mix is. So yeah, you can just hear it when you listen to this song and you picture Robin a little angrier, and just Rick's guitar, and you can just hear this as a cool cheap trick song, but you know it's just really ruined here on the album. You can hear Robin Zander doing that patented liftoff, like where, you know, anytime you want to come, come over. Anytime yeah. you want to, you know. You can hear the liftoff. You can hear that we're getting into what, one of the things I love about Cheap Trick is when Robin plays that psycho kind of voice thing that he does so well. And, Me too. And you can hear it, like, you, the plane's starting to take off, you're going down the runway, and then, and it's like, what? No, give us the good stuff. Robin kills it on this track, but the rest of the track does not kill it back. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. <sighs> this could be so cool, and there's so much of a song here that, that could be something. And if Cheap Trick decides to record again, this would be a good place to look for a possible start. Agreed, BJ? Yeah. And if you don't and agree with me, I don't care. But I very much agree. And they did it with Miss Tomorrow. So. That's right. The guitar solo on this is pretty cool. It says it's by Gary Taylor, and that's a name I'm not familiar with. I mean, most of the other guitar solos I know, like the session guys, like Steve Ferris from Mr. Mister, or Tim Pierce, who was Rick Springfield's main guitar foil yeah, through most yeah. of the 80s and 90s. And I, I, when I first heard it, I thought it was him, and then I said, wow, who's this Gary Taylor guy? And did we say this song is co-written by Mick McNeil, who's from Simple Minds? Yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe that's where the yeah. drummy <laughs> bit comes in. Oh, the drum sound is so bad. Oh, yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Robin, I've got this drum part. Listen to this. It, it's going to be perfect. I'm in Simple Minds. Check it out. I guess the production on this album is just lost in the limbo of 1993, where it was in between kind of that reverb, terrible drum sound that dominated a lot of the <laughs> late 80s, early 90s in rock, and then you know, moving more towards what was going to become alternative and all of that. And I don't know, this album's just kind of in a limbo, pop limbo in 1993. And uh, Because it kind of borrows from the past and the future at the same time and the the god-awfulness of the present at the time. Yeah, I mean, it, would, it probably didn't sound as odd in 1993, but in retrospect, yeah, they took a lot of things in the wrong direction. Not a lot of... For they had the foresight that they had was off. <laughs> If they were trying to, I mean, whatever they were trying to do, they they didn't see the future coming with a lot of the production choices on this, and uh, so it's just uh, listening back to it now. Right. But at the time, I guess it sounded like it sounded cool <laughs> to them at the time. I guess I don't know. Right, but then again, you have so many directions, so many producers, so many production choices. It was all over the map. The last song on the album proper is "Walking Shoes," written by Mark Spiro and Robin Zander. <laughs> Thank you. 
be most everything a man could ever need. She can chase the blues away as far as I can see. There's nothing to gain when you're bound to lose. BJ, your thoughts? <laughs> it's a race between me and Joe who gets to say <laughs> the notes. Uh, yeah, obviously Mark Spiro, uh, he co-wrote Mighty Wings, so we've got a cool, cheap trick connection there. And um, I really like this song. I read that he that Mark Spiro was signed to Interscope Records at the time, uh, but I don't think he actually put a record out with Interscope. So I don't know. You know, it's like a Jimmy Iovine brought him and Robin together and t to write this song I guess I don't know I really like it though mm -hmm. and it you know the production is fine on this one except the drums are just too high in the mix like a lot of the songs on here but but this Robin's is a good performance one. once again yeah great Joe Royland your thoughts on walking shoes I like it too. It's kind of a nice light closer to the album. And again, of course, BJ stole. <laughs> he got to say all the liner notes first. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Mark Spiro is a guy who's written with tons of people, uh, done other stuff with Cheap Trick, Julian Lennon, John Wade, Hearts. Uh, you can find his name. You, you pick up almost any album from like the late, mid to late 80s, you'll find his name probably as a songwriting credit on there and it's, it's just a nice little track and yeah, this is one of the ones where uh, Robin actually plays like the electric guitar and the, the acoustics are Tim Pierce which is usually reverse usually he's the guy who would be doing more of the solo-y type stuff I saw that Mark Spiro had an album all the way back in 86 which I want to find that and check it out but uh, I mean we've said a lot of negative things but probably more than half the songs in this record are really good so yeah, that's why I said I had mixed feelings about this album. I mean, like, it's it's half of it I love, but the, the clunkers are really clunkers. The great stuff is really great. And then we have one bonus track, and it is called Stone Cold Rhythm Shake. Oh, love, that's all it takes I got 
available on the Japanese version of the album and also on the one promo single, correct, Joe? Yeah, it's uh, the import CD single, too. This is from Germany, and it's on there. Cool cover. If you look at the um, or cover of a song, but also just the cover for the single, if you look at the inside photographs for the album, there's a lot of pictures of Robin's family, mm-hmm. and the, the cover of the single is actually a nice shot of, like, he's sitting at a diner table, but yes. it's actually his dad who's serving him up the coffee mm-hmm. which is kind of neat it's it's a very cool picture yeah it's 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 really nice bj what are your thoughts on this track yeah it's a pretty cool song the robert bond original is pretty cool that's a pretty cool album too i'm forgetting what it's called right now i, I it's another one where i'd like to know the story of how this all came about but uh yeah. a lot of weird choices for songs just like how does this happen this one features a lot of talent too mike campbell's playing guitar clem burke from blondie is on drums and uh, backing vocals from Maria McKee and uh, also on keyboards on this song, Bonnie Hayes, um, who played keyboards on a lot of the tracks on this album. Her brother is Chris Hayes from Huey Lewis and the News. And I forget the name of the band she was in right off the top of my head, but she had a she was in some San Francisco area band. That was really yeah, popular. awesome. Uh, Bonnie Hayes and Wild Combo, I think. That's it, yes. Yeah, I had, That's a great record. She had a couple other records too, but that first uh, record is really good. One song that was considered for this album but not used, which I would have loved to have heard Xander take on this. I thought I didn't know this till years later, but I found out in the liner notes to Paul Westerberg's Best of Album Westerberg, song Runaway Wind was actually offered to Xander first and he turned it down. And so Westerberg ended up recording it himself on his own debut solo album, 14 Songs, and that's actually one of my favorite tracks on that record. I would have loved to have heard a Robin Sander version of that song. Yeah, and Westerberg is a co-writer on the B-side, What's Her Name, which was on the Show Me Heaven UK single. I really like that song a lot. And of course, Miss Tomorrow was on that single too. Right. Well, one thing I read is that Robin wrote two songs with Roy Wood for this album, but didn't use them. I don't know any song titles or if anything was ever done with those songs. And also there's a couple of songs on the Jellyfish box set that they wrote and offered to Robin for this album that didn't get used. So they had used Roy Wood Jellyfish songs. Could have made even a really killer album, yeah. Yeah. So I mean yeah, if you if you look at they're out there with Jellyfish and Paul Westerberg and Roy Wood, there was a much better album (laughs) envisioned than what Jimmy Iovine ended up putting together so uh, I, I think true like again that's where we we're talking about like Jimmy Iovine's choice like a lot of those choices were probably more his because he was executive producing the album and like you said when he's the label head too you kind of have to bow to his decisions but geez I mean what a better record it would have been to have had some of that other material on it and just lose the dogs on this album right and and you would have had like a really really solid offering very good well, you know, it would have been much better to be on the album than some of the other stuff that wound up being on there. So would you recommend this album to a Cheap Trick fan? Since this is the Cheap Talk, Cheap Trick podcast, BJ, what would you recommend this album to a Cheap Trick fan? Of course, for sure. Yeah, I, like I said, at least half this record any Cheap Trick fan's going to like. Right. And, you know, I, you know, it's just... 
this wasn't even released on vinyl, so you know, if you get the CD, you just got to hit the skip button. It's not that big a deal. Right. I originally had it on cassette, so then I had to fast forward. But Joe Royland, would you recommend it to a Cheap Trick fan? Oh yeah, two words: Robin Zander. <laughs> <laughs> it's like easily. I mean, it's it's like as much as some of the bad songs are bad, this album is still great, and and. If you're a Robin Cheap Trick fan, you're a Robin Zander fan, you gotta have it. Yeah, if any Cheap Trick fan who hasn't heard this, Time Will Let You Know alone is gonna blow their yeah. mind. But, you know, especially because of the Silver Concert, that's probably the best known song on here. So Yeah, and there's enough other great material on it that they'd like it. Agreed. And as far as my opinion on if you're a Cheap Trick fan and you don't own this, why not? Why the hell not? Don't be a casual fan. Don't be like sheep and follow the flock. Show me you really want to be mine. Go out and get the Robin Zander CD. Get this, get this, get this. There, is that good enough? Are the letters big enough yet, BJ? <laughs> and it's a great line. package, too. I love the album yeah. cover, and I, I love the whole design of it. Um, it's a great album cover, and just, yeah, the design of the packaging is really well done. And you can get this fairly inexpensive on Amazon. Do that while you can, because at some point, those prices will go up. It will happen. Mark my words. All right. Well, Joe, would you like to tell people they can hear you babble and do your fine podcasting work, sir? Well, you can find me at Sit and Spin with Joe on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and uh, where I usually am also promoting all the fine shows from folks like you and bj thank um, you i'm a big fan of the zilch podcast and the podcast and cheap Chick, cheap talk with trick chat as well as uh, the rock and roll podcast too which i've guested on a couple times as well thank you so much we seriously do mean it uh we'd like to thank anyone that listens to this show we'd like to thank anybody that listens to anything we do right bj yes <laughs> thank you Hopefully we won't be as long on the next episode of Cheap Talk. It's, it's been a very busy time in the world of Cheap Trick, and we're doing our best to document the past, present, and hopefully the future of the band. So we'll see you on the next episode of Cheap Talk, your Cheap Trick podcast. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, BJ. Goodbye, BJ. <sighs> Everything's a joke with you. And that's our show. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap trickin'. Such a, she's so cool. I saw that picture of her and your daughter. This won't make the show, but there was that really cool picture of your daughter and her uh, doing the duck lip things with the Pringles or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That was so cool. Really neat. She seems like a really cool person. I don't know why she's hanging around with you. <laughs> very good looking woman. She's fine. So hot. So hot. <laughs> I can't believe I said Zender. What the fuck is wrong with me? Return to Zender. Address unknown.
I was talking to a guy last night who was contacted by Elvis's estate because uh, they're reaching out to people to try to make the Elvis brand uh, of more interest to younger people. Isn't that sad? Because they feel that their audience is literally dying. Well, rock and roll in America is dying, so... Yeah. But it's just so weird, you know, how do you market Elvis? <laughs> it seems like a no-brainer yet a complicated question because he doesn't bring the MILF money. <laughs> God, what a horrible abortion. What a horrible abortion. That, that Have you seen that or heard that? I saw a few seconds of it. Listen, I... I think that that Fergie is is a fine-looking woman, and the women in the video were fine-looking women, but there was no eroticism to it at all. It was like, it would be the same thing as if someone said, you can masturbate, but you have to masturbate using a shitty diaper. That's the <laughs> feel that Yeah, one as gets. if you've never done that. DJ, you know about my urinary tract infections. We don't want to talk about this on air. Damn you. How do you that's how you got the infection. With the now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. You know, BJ, I'd never say these things about you. I'm just putting that out there. Back to the show. <laughs> but it's truly hideous if you you need to watch the entire video one time and then like i don't know you <laughs> no well either no no you have to hear the music because it's so horribly bad so horribly bad i'll i'll, I'll, I'll go hipster again it's so bad so bad anyway <laughs> Say, say it again. God. I'm itching my ear. I do that thing like a dog. All right. Okay, I'm done.